in God's holy word to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll begin reading in verse 1 to get the context, but the text we'll be looking at um, today is in verse 14. But we'll start reading in verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day... Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We'll stop there with the reading of God's very word. Let's pray. Oh Lord, please come by your spirit now. And Lord Jesus, speak your gospel afresh to our hearts. As your little children, we are hungry for you and the bread of heaven. You, Lord Jesus, and your written word, the Holy Scriptures. And so, Lord, we confess that uh, we need your blessed spirit uh, to rightly understand your word, uh, to hear it, to believe it, to embrace it. We need your spirit, Lord. Or our hearts will be cold and dull toward you and toward the truth of your word. And so come, Lord Jesus, even this day to us as your little children uh, to revive us, uh, to rekindle in our hearts uh, a love for you, uh, to delight in you to trust and give ourselves afresh to you, the one who 
bought us with your precious blood. And Lord, if there be any uh, listening who are apart from you, uh, awaken them, Lord, from uh, their slumber of death and, and give them eyes to see your beauty and, and a heart that is alive uh, to repent and believe in you, Lord, the Lord, the only Lord, you, Lord Jesus. In Christ we pray, amen. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Well, we continue looking at these closing instructions that the Apostle Paul uh, gave to these Christians who were so dear to his heart. He had not known them a long time, uh, but uh, he immediately had uh, such a, a closeness with them, and that is something that we experience no matter where we go, uh, to bump into people who also love our Jesus uh, is such an encouragement. It is such a blessing. It is such a, a, a thrill. And the Apostle Paul wanted to come uh, in person, but he was delayed. And so he had sent Timothy. Uh, Timothy had come to share the gospel to make sure that they were holding fast to Jesus and growing in him. And then uh, he brought word back of, of this mutual love uh, that these people had for the Apostle Paul and Silas and others who uh, had traveled uh, there. In these concluding remarks, uh, we see over and over the call for God's people to comfort one another with various truths. Uh, we are to comfort one another in the face of the battle uh, of life, uh, knowing that there is life beyond this life for those who are trusting in Jesus Christ, uh, to encourage us, to spur us on uh, to love and follow the Lamb of God. The Lord calls upon us to be living everyday life uh, with an eye towards uh, someday uh, Jesus will be finished with us. Someday history will be over. And that is God's timetable. We do not know uh, how long we have. We do not know how long Jesus uh, will allow history uh, to unfold according to his plan uh, before he comes and ends history and raises the dead and ushers in that great day of judgment. But our duty and joy and responsibility is to be found doing the king's business when he comes. To be found doing the king's business when it is the end for us, whether uh, we die before Jesus comes again or whether uh, we are in that generation that will be alive when he bodily, physically comes back uh, to this earth. And so in verse 10... Our Lord Jesus is the one who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. That's the life of a Christian. Uh, to have union with Christ and communion with Christ, joy in following him, living in him and for him. And here we see this description whether we are awake or asleep, uh, we have the joy of living with him. Jesus is our life. He's the vine. We're the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Uh, just like a little branch gets its life from the sap of the trunk of the tree, uh, so it is with us spiritually. Our life depends upon 
belonging to Jesus. And so in verse 11, we are to be encouraging one another, building one another up. Uh, This is the pattern that God has established. In verse 12, we saw in 13 that God uh, has has called and raised up uh, uh, pastors and teachers for the purpose of equipping the saints. And we're to listen carefully and to make good use uh, of, of those messengers of the King of glory who would faithfully open up the scriptures and show us and Jesus would nurture and feed us his word. And so we come uh, now uh, at the end of verse 13, uh, we saw this call to be at peace among ourselves, uh, that we are to have peace with God through Jesus, and we are to view ourselves as peacemakers. Uh, We are to be running after peace. We are to be people who love to bend and get along with the people around us within the parameters of holiness. We are those who uh, uh, are not going to bend what God says is true and good and right. Uh, Our own uh, mere preferences, uh, we're happy uh, if... Uh, 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 the people in our family would rather have uh, chocolate pie versus apple pie. We're happy to sacrifice uh, our, our own desires and wants uh, for the blessing and the benefit uh, of those around us. But we cannot and will not, by the grace of God, uh, uh, turn our back on Jesus. We will not and cannot compromise with the world. We will not and cannot put aside the truth of God's word. And when a breach occurs, we are those who run seeking to be reconciled. We are those that uh, uh, seek uh, if there is any way to restore peace in the person and work of Jesus Christ, uh, we rejoice and delight in that. We love to be people who forgive and cover the offenses of those who have done us wrong with the precious blood of Jesus. And we begin anew uh, to serve the Lord together. Well, In verse 14 and following, we see some practical examples given to us of scenarios in which we will be able to be peacemakers and helpers encouraging one another. And in verse 14, um, we're going to look at these first two phrases this morning. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Uh, We see the Apostle Paul instructing us, reminding us first, addressing that as we seek to help each other, be at peace and live everyday lives for Jesus, living with him, he addresses this instruction to the members of God's family. This application, this instruction is given to us as brothers. The Apostle Paul viewed these Christians as fellow children of God. Members of the family of God adopted in Jesus Christ. And that means that we ought to view one another from the standpoint of our common experience of the mercy of God in Christ. Uh, This life of living in the family of God 
of seeking to serve God in our everyday lives, what a blessing it is that God has not saved us and called us to be what I refer to as Lone Ranger Christians. Now, when I was a little boy, one of my favorite television programs was The Lone Ranger. And I will not reveal how old I was when I finally understood that The Lone Ranger wasn't really real. It was a crushing blow uh, to little Henry. Um, But uh, one of the things that is useful uh, in that uh, TV series was that that is not what God calls us to be as Christians. God doesn't save us and just send us out alone with no relationship and no connection with any other people like the Lone Ranger had. He would ride into town. The only person who knew his identity or anything about him was his trusted partner, Tonto. But aside from Tonto, nobody knew who he was, where he came from, or where he was going. That was the point. He was the lone ranger. But not so with the people of God. We are called to be a people who mutually love our Lord Jesus. Yes, as individuals, we repent and believe in Jesus, but God has caused us to be born again in Christ into his family. We have brothers and sisters, and we're going to spend eternity together in the glories of heaven because of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God calls upon us now to serve him together and to view each other as children of God by the grace of God. And so it is on that basis that all of these commands now are going to unfold. And we've seen that in verse 12. We ask you, brothers. He's already started this uh, in verse 14. And we urge you, brothers. Uh, This word urge, a very strong term, a, a, a term that you could translate beg. Uh, we're pleading with you, uh, brothers, on the basis of our mutual experience of the love of Jesus. We have work to do. Uh, God calls us to be running after peace, to be comforting one another, uh, to be building each other up. Well, he gives us some specific examples of what that looks like. And the first in this list is, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Now you'll see these verbs, admonish, the next encourage, the next help, the next be patient, uh, and on and on. All of these verbs are imperative verbs. They're they're verbs that are commands. These are not suggestions. These are instructions from the king. He's giving us marching orders. They're also in the present tense in the Greek. And the force of that is that it is something that you don't just do one time. Uh, For example... In Luke chapter 11, when Jesus was giving instructions about praying, he said, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And those verbs are also in the present tense. And the force of those verbs is keep on asking. Don't just ask once, but keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. 
And we see the same thing here. That these are in the present tense. Uh, this is not something we just do one time, but this is to be an ongoing uh, uh, ministry. All of these things are to be done with a view toward as long as we are this side of heaven, we have work to do. Well, what does it mean to um, admonish the idle? And um, we're going to spend just a few minutes uh, uh, trying to figure out what it means to be idle. Um, and then we'll look at what it means to admonish. Um, who are the idle? Well, uh, the only time that th this Greek term is used um, in, in the New Testament is here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and there's another form of this same uh, word that is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And so you see there in verse 14 of chapter 5, we urge you admonish the idle. Um, if you'll turn to chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians, the context here in 2 Thessalonians is really helpful. Um, because to be idle isn't just referring to living in a disorderly manner. Now, I think it applies to that. It's not just describing somebody who's wearing their pants, some man wearing their pants down around their knees. Uh, it would have application to that, but it is focused on a, a specific aspect of living disorderly. Uh, look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord, accord with the tradition that you receive from us. And so here is a passage, same Greek word, a uh, family uh, that is describing this, this uh, disorderly life. What does that mean? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 7, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness. Same family of words. Not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. And so you can see how this passage is very helpful in describing for us and giving us a, a clear understanding of what it means to be idle. It doesn't just mean disorderly in just a, a, a general way, although it has application to that, but specifically being an idle person is somebody who is lazy, who refuses to work, who is just floating along in life and they are not willing to get their hands involved in exercising dominion. And let's look at 
some of the things in this passage. First of all, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, these idle people, now we command you brothers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. This matter of refusing to work, refusing to serve God in a calling is of such seriousness that the Apostle Paul said, if a person refuses to work, you need to avoid being in fellowship with that person because they are going to have a bad influence on you. Over in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34, God warned his people uh, in, in that epistle. He said, you, you, you need to remember bad company does what? It corrupts good morals. Uh, if you put a bad apple in your apple drawer in the refrigerator, what happens? All the other good apples turn that bad apple good. No. If you leave that bad apple in the drawer, the bad's going to spread. And there are people foolishly who think that they can be bosom buddies with people who are in rebellion against the living God and everything will be cool. Everything will be great. Life will, will, will be wonderful for them. And God warns, yes, he wants us to be sharing the gospel with people who aren't Christians, but not to be uh, 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 viewing them as, as our bud. You know, we're, we're, we're together in this. And so being idle, not being willing to work, is so serious, God says, listen, you, you don't want to hang out with somebody who refuses to work. Well, you'll notice, he says, who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. And then he's going to describe his own life as an example. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. He said, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day. And so the opposite of being idle is what? Working. The opposite of being idle is having work that you do that enables you to support yourself and to support your family. We toiled and labored night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Notice verse 9, it was not because we do not have that right but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Now, the Apostle Paul is referring to here the fact that when he uh, came to Thessalonica, he did not take advantage of a right. Notice what it says there in verse um, 9. It was not because we do not have that right. Well, what is he talking about? Well, the instructions that the Lord Jesus gave to his disciples when he sent them out. That the laborer is worthy of his hire. That it is a godly thing for pastors to earn their living from preaching the gospel. From being an under-shepherd. That's the right that he was talking about. But he said, uh, you weren't from a biblical background. You didn't understand the blessing and joy 
and duty of work. And so we didn't exercise that right because you needed an example. And we didn't exercise that right to earn our living through the preaching of the gospel. And we worked in a a different way to earn our keep so that we could be an example to you. Now, what is this thing of, of a calling and work? Uh, where does that come from? Well, over in Genesis chapter 1, when God created Adam and Eve, the first man from the dust of the earth, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and then put Adam to sleep and took a portion of Adam's side and formed Eve, And then woke Adam up and performed the first wedding there in the Garden of of Eden. God had given instruction to Adam and Eve that they were to work. That wasn't the only thing they were to do, but they were to exercise dominion. Actually, there are three what we call creation ordinances that we read about at the beginning of our worship service. One is dominion. The other is family, that God established the family uh, and, and said be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It wasn't just Adam who was to exercise dominion, but God is giving him a team to do so and then the pattern of not only work, but worship. And from the beginning of creation until the Lord Jesus came, God's people would work all week, and then they would rest. Jesus is our rest, and he was raised from the dead on the first day of the week. And the New Testament makes a big, big, big deal of the fact that it's the first day of the week. Most of the appearances, as a matter of fact, all of the appearances of Jesus to his disciples after he was raised from the dead, where it specifies what day it was, are all on the first day of the week when they were gathered together. Jesus had instructed them that now it's the first day of the week. And in 1 Corinthians 16, the Apostle Paul tells uh, the church at Corinth, as I have instructed all of the other churches, I'm uh, I'm giving instruction to you that on the first day of every week when you are gathered together, take up collections for the needy down in Jerusalem so that when I come, we won't have to deal with this. But... You're together on the first day of the week. Uh, That's the pattern now. And so one of the things that God ordered in creation is dominion. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish. Psalm 8. You can turn there with me. Psalm 8. After the fall... Adam and Eve still had the responsibility of working for God. But now it's tough. The jobs that God had assigned to Adam and Eve, Adam was called to keep the Garden of Eden. He was a farmer. But now it's going to be tough because thorns and thistles are going to grow. Eve's particular job, she was called... Her calling was to be a homemaker. And her calling is going to be very difficult now too because in pain now she will bring forth children. Well, in Psalm 8, God reminds us that even after the fall, this is still what God calls us to be doing, to exercise dominion over his creation. In Psalm 8, to the choir master, according to the Gatith 
a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man? that you are mindful of him, and the Son of Man, that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beast of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And so here, after the fall, one of the things that God reminds us that reflect his character. God has made us in his image, and he made the world, he worked, and God made us in his image and places us in his creation to exercise dominion, to develop the potential of this world that he has created and all of the resources that he gives to us. Um, there are some things in this movie that I cannot recommend but the latest movie in the Jurassic uh, uh, Park uh, series, you know, where the dinosaurs get loose and try to eat everybody, is really a horrifying expression of rebellion against the living God. Because it is a self-conscious repudiation and denial of the truth that God is the creator and he has placed mankind, men and women, to be over his creation, to develop it and protect it and use it for the glory of God and the good of our fellow man. It is a self-conscious denial that God wants us to exercise dominion, to work, to develop the potential. The uh, radical uh, uh, climate change movement, the radical environmental movement in our day is also attack against this same truth. And we need to understand what's going on. It's a religious thing that is taking place. And the Apostle Paul now is coming into a place of paganism. Thessalonica was a pagan place. It was a place of darkness. And Jesus is the light of the world. And what happens when the gospel comes, not only are we reconciled to God Jesus washing our sins away, but God in the Lord Jesus Christ restores us to a place where we have fellowship with God through the Lord Jesus. And we now have work to do for the glory of our God. God has work for us to do. This is one of the things that happened when the Reformation took place in the 1500s, this concept, this truth that work is a blessing from God and that every noble calling is a holy calling from God. That, in other words, you don't have to be a preacher to be in full-time Christian ministry. And we still use that terminology in this day, but it's unbiblical terminology. Every Christian is in full-time Christian ministry. 
What would, what would happen if God called everybody to be a preacher of the gospel? We would be in a world of hurt. I, we wouldn't have food to eat. We wouldn't have clothes to wear. We wouldn't have... I, I mean, just think what, what a mess we would be in. Now, what a blessing and privilege it is to be called to share the good news of Jesus. Oh, I, I praise God for that privilege. But God calls each person to a unique station in life to serve the living God in work. And whatever God calls you to do, do it for the praise of God. Let's look at a couple of other passages. Psalm 139. Psalm 139, it tells us that God uniquely has made each one of us. God has uniquely made every one of us in this place today with unique gifts and abilities. Uh, We all are gifted to be able to do the same thing. In Psalm 139, we see in verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book, were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And so God is the one who knit us together. And, you know, I I have never done a scientific experiment on snowflakes, but I have been told that there will never be two snowflakes that are exactly alike. Now, just stop and think about that. That is mind-boggling. The crystal structure of a snowflake, every snowflake is unique. And the DNA that God creates when the 23 chromosomes from the Man and the woman are joined together to form a 46-chromosome unique human being. There will never be another exactly like that. That's mind-boggling. God is the one who formed and fashioned us, and it includes the ability to do certain things. The desire to do certain things. Uh, Turn with me over in the book of Exodus, chapter 36. Here we have some household names that I'm sure you're familiar with, Bezalel and Oholib. No, you probably don't talk about these fellows too often, but we really ought to take note of them. In Exodus, chapter 36, Bezalel and Oholib... And every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. You see, it was Almighty God who had gifted these two particular craftsmen. And he says that every craftsman, If you are gifted to be able to take an engine apart and then to put it back. Now, I can take them apart. But can you put it back together and not have parts left over? See, I I, I always have parts left over. I, I, I could take little Henry when he was growing up. I could take all kinds of things apart but I had a hard time getting it all back together exactly right. 
You see, people are differently gifted to do various things. And so, what have you been called to do? What place has God uniquely gifted you to exercise dominion, to be developing and using some aspect of God's creation uh, for the glory of God and the good of your fellow man? That's what dominion is. According to the Word of God, uh, the revealed will of God, all of that has to do with this matter of, of calling, of vocation, of work. Um, one of the old preachers in the 1600s, uh, he said, This is a wonderful thing that the Savior of the world and the King above all kings was not ashamed to labor. Yea, and to use so simple an occupation. Here he did sanctify, declare holy, all manner of occupation. He's talking about the Lord Jesus, that until he was 30 years old, what did Jesus do? He was a carpenter. And the Lord Jesus labored uh, with his adopted dad, Joseph, who was a carpenter. And so any noble calling... uh, Now, God's not calling. If you young people are sitting there, well, maybe God's calling me to be a professional gambler. No. Uh, Maybe God's calling me to be a thief. No. Uh, But any noble calling, God uh, gifts people uniquely and God wants you to be uh, uh, equipping yourself. Sometimes God reveals to young people when they're very young, here's what I want to be when I grow up. And sometimes that's exactly what happens. Now, I had all kinds of uh, things that I thought God was calling me to be. Um, And see me afterward, and I'll tell you what some of my uh, thoughts were. Uh, One of them was uh, to be a, a fighter pilot. And no, that's not what God called me to do. Uh, Then I thought God had called me to be a band director and a choir director. And that's what I went to college for. No, that's not what God called me to do. And finally, um, he called me to preach the gospel. But you see, God has work for all of us. And it doesn't mean that your work is going to necessarily be the same for the rest of your days. Moses, for the first 40 years of his life, his calling was to learn to be a prince of Egypt. And he learned all kinds of amazing things. And then the Lord changed his calling and said, nope, you're not going to be a prince of Egypt. You're going to be a shepherd. And ten sheep. And so for the next 40 years, from 40 years old to 80 years old, Moses was a shepherd. And then when he was 80 years old, God said, Okay, Moses, I've got got another job for you. And God called him to go down to Egypt and proclaim the gospel and lead God's people out of bondage. Caleb, uh, you know, Joshua's buddy, He, when he was 85 years old, and you can read about this in the book of Joshua, chapter 14. Uh, Caleb's 85 years old, and he said, Joshua, there's one more stronghold of the Anakim left in the promised land. And I want you to let me lead the army to capture it. And, And you remember... Just turn there with me. We we, we have to look at this. In Joshua chapter 14. Verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, You know that the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me, 
I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years, since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old, I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. For so now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Now, that's how you get old. That's how you get old. You just keep seeking the face of the Lord, and even though your job may change, God has work for us to do. God doesn't want us to be idle. He wants us to be people who labor with our own hands in some calling. And any calling, I, I had a, a, a dear friend in seminary, and he and his dad had a business that it was a, well, it was a stinky business. He was a garbage collector. And he said it just gave him great joy. In the summertime, he would labor with his dad and they lived in a big resort area, and he had this fleet of, of garbage trucks, and he said what a blessing it was to his heart to go and collect garbage uh, to minister to the people of, of that place. You see, uh, we have lost sight in our country because we have turned from the light of the world and we are now like pagans, like the people in Thessalonica were in the way we think and the way we live. But God's people are a people who say, God, you made me and you made me to live life for you. Now, we're not workaholics. We don't live to work. We live for Jesus. And one of the important aspects of life is what? To worship God. To delight in God. To enjoy walking with God. And we do that on the Lord's Day. And then when Monday morning comes, you know what we do? We say, thank you, Jesus, that I get to get up and go to work. See, that's the way a Christian thinks. There's a, 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 a restaurant chain that is fading out of existence, TGIF. And that stands for, thank God it's Friday. Well, we do thank God when Fridays come. But we, as God's people, thank God for Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays. We enjoy serving the Lord laboring with our hands for His praise. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Look at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. You see, when a person becomes a Christian, not only are we called to follow Jesus, to believe in Him, to repent of our sins, but we also 
begin to seek his face about what he's called us to do and be to serve him in work. Turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy. One of the things that we do with work is we support ourselves and we support our families. And here in 1 Timothy chapter 5, the Lord says in verse 3 and following, Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. And then look down in verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And I love the old King James there. It says he's worse than an infidel. That, that pretty well sums it up. God says that if we are able to work, and if you're not able to work, then your family is supposed to do what they can to take care of you. And if they can't, then the big family, the bigger family of God's people are supposed to step in and help take care of those who are in need. And that's what this passage is describing. Uh, here, here's a widow, and she's to the place now where she can't work, and she can't take care of herself. And whose responsibility is it? Your family. And if they can't or won't, then it is the church's responsibility to care for those who are in need. But you see, this matter of exercising dominion, um, developing the potential of, of the world around us, and God has hidden all kinds of goodies in His creation for us to discover and harness so that we will praise God and so that we will be a blessing to our fellow man. Um, George Washington Carver, uh, a sweet, godly Christian man, and he would go to his laboratory before any of the other workers would get there. And you know what he would do? He'd get down on his knees and he'd pray. And he'd say, Lord, you're the one who made this thing called the peanut. And during his lifetime, he developed 93 plus different products from a peanut. Not only peanut butter. Mmm, that's good. But ink, I mean, there was just all kinds of things. This man discovered that God had hidden. I, I don't know who invented the vacuum cleaner. That's, that's, that's a pretty neat invention. And so maybe God's called you to be a garbage collector. Maybe God has called you uh, uh, to be an inventor. Maybe God has called you uh, to just labor, uh, uh, taking care uh, of of those uh, as as a nurse that are sick, uh, or maybe God's called you uh, uh, to serve as a carpenter. Maybe God's called you to be a truck driver. Maybe God's called there's any noble calling. Maybe God's called you to be a soldier. Any noble calling is a holy calling, and we are to do it for Jesus with excellence with joy, with a view toward serving the Lord. Whether we're mining coal or mowing grass or taking out the garbage. And when we're working for Jesus, what kind of work should we be doing? Sloppy, doesn't matter. No, we're to be working with excellence the very best we can because we're doing it for the King. Oh, there's so many passages I wish we could look at, but we're out of time. 
God says, admonish the idle. Admonish just means that we come alongside those who are having a hard time and we say, look, I want to show you and tell you the blessing and joy of working for Jesus. And so, young people and children, when your parents give you chores to do, it's an opportunity for you to start practicing working for Jesus. When they give you school assignments to do, that's your calling right now. And it may not be your favorite subject. It may be math or history or spelling. Oh. But if it is what Jesus in his providence has, has given you to do, you do it with all your heart. You say, Lord Jesus, I'm working for you, and you are worthy to be praised, and I'm going to do it with excellence and with joy because you are my good God. You made me. You've redeemed me. I belong to you, and I'm going to do this assignment for you. I'm going to carry the trash out for you. I'm going to change this diaper for you. You see, all of life takes on a different view when we work for Jesus. And so that's what the Apostle Paul was trying to help these, these new Christians. He said, listen, uh, we, I, could have, I could have just earned my living preaching the gospel. A lot of people think preachers don't work. When I first came here to Tazel, people would ask me, do you work or are you a preacher? And, and I, I would say, well, I, I work at being a preacher. But I knew what they were talking about. No, I didn't have a tent-making job. And there's nothing wrong with that. Our associate pastor, he has a tent-making job. And it's, it's a blessing. Every calling is a noble call. What are you called to do? And if you're a young person or a child here today, you say, well, I don't know. Well, your job is to get ready. Your job is to get ready. Job wants, God wants you to pack your suitcase and your toolbox. And in his time, he's going to tell you what he's called you to do. And it may surprise you what God calls you to do. I never dreamed I would be a preacher of the gospel. I, I was just, you know, I had other plans. But God in his time, he'll make it known to you. Take advantage of learning everything you can from your godly parents and grandparents and the elders of the church and get ready for the adventure God has in store for you. And those of us who are older, whatever station God has put us in today, what a joy it is to serve Jesus in our callings, in our homes, in the workplace. And we not only work for Jesus, we play for Jesus. Uh, we have times of rest uh, when we, we sit back and we go, boy, thank you, Lord, for what I've been able to accomplish. And, and we, we just thank God for the blessing to live for Him. If you're a young person here and you don't know what God's called you to do, I'd love to talk to you. But I'm just going to give you in closing four things for, that I want you to think about. Okay? First of all, what do you desire to do? What do you desire to do? First Timothy 3, God says, if, if anyone desires the office of uh, elder, he desires a noble thing, a good thing. So in your calling, what do you desire? Well, secondly, what are you gifted to do? 
What do you enjoy doing? What are you good at doing? And then thirdly, what doors is God opening for you? And then lastly, what do other people say? You know, you may think you have the most beautiful voice in the universe and you're going to go and be an opera singer or you're going to go to Nashville and you're going to sing. And, you know, people take you aside and say, you know, Henry, I don't think you've got a voice that we can market. So God uses all these things to help us. But he's got a calling for each one of you. And that's exciting. May the Lord bless you. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that when the gospel comes to hearts and families and towns and counties and countries, it turns everything right side up. And so, Lord Jesus, we beg that you would save us and then you would take us and grow us and make plain to us what you're calling us to do today and we just lay ourselves at your feet like Moses, like Caleb. Oh, Lord, as long as we have breath, we have work to do. And we love you and praise you and we're excited to serve you. We don't want to be idle. We want to live for you, including working for your praise. In Jesus we pray. Amen.